Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. We'll be looking at verses 17 through 40. It is a great moment in the Old Testament, an amazing story, but it comes at the end of three and a half years since Elijah stood boldly before wicked King Ahab and declared, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain all these years except by my word. And according to God's powerful word, not one drop had fallen from the sky. Israel, consequently, was devastated. But rather than repenting of their sins, and con they continued to hold on to their false saviors. Jezebel had been hunting down the Lord's prophets and killing them. Ahab had been conducting an international manhunt to try to find this troubler of Israel, Elijah. When you think about it, it's rather amazing that God would continue to show mercy to such a people. But he does. The command comes to Elijah at the beginning of this chapter, go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So you see, God is merciful. But before God will send rain, he would have the, their false god, Baal, publicly defeated beyond all doubt. For Baal was supposedly the god of rain. And God wants everyone to see that when the rain comes, it's not because of Baal. It's because of him. So he commanded Elijah to go show himself to Ahab. And Elijah commanded the king to, to gather all the false prophets at Mount Carmel. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of the Asherah. He doesn't say why. He just says, bring them all to me at Mount Carmel. And what happens next is one of the most dramatic showdowns in the whole Bible. Who is the real God? That will determine the outcome of this meeting. And brothers and sisters, as I read, I hope you know the answer to that question and that you know that the answer to that question should affect every area of your life. In fact, it should dominate every area of your life. Because if he is the true God, he should be the God of every area of your life. But like the people of Israel back then, we don't know and we don't follow the Lord as we should. We forget him. We sometimes act as if he doesn't exist so as you listen to the God's word this morning, I would ask you to examine your heart. What if it were your idols being placed on the scale with the God of Israel on Mount Carmel? There is perhaps no more vivid passage in the whole Bible than the one before us to confront this syncretistic, half-hearted devotion and double-mindedness that is so prevalent.
today. Choose this day whom you will serve. 1 Kings chapter 18, I will begin reading at verse 17 through 40. This is God's word. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of the Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he's a god. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud, and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And he did it a second time. 
And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would teach us now this morning that you are God and no other. Let us turn to you. and Lord, let all our sins be slain. Let not one of them escape. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I want you to imagine the scene that is set here before us. King Ahab, as obeying Elijah, has summoned all of Israel to gather at Mount Carmel. And there are now gathered around thousands and thousands of, of them, all on this mountain. When you imagine Mount Carmel, don't imagine a solitary hill because Mount Carmel was more like a mountain range. More than 1,600 feet tall, more than five miles wide, more than 25 miles long. Everyone in Israel could have gathered easily on this mountain, just a small section of it. It is on the coast of the sea in the north of Israel, right on the border between Israel where King Ahab is from, and Phoenicia, where Jezebel is from. The valley around it is kind of a choke point. It is called the Jezreel Valley, and it lies on this highway that connects three continents, Africa, Europe, and Asia. Consequently, it has been one of the most heavily sought after and heavily contested areas of, in, in the history of the world. You've probably heard of the Jezreel Valley, but you're probably more familiar with a part of that valley not very far from Mount Carmel known as Armageddon. Today, in our passage, there will be another battle. Not a battle like so many before in the time of Joshua, in the time of David, in the time of the Pharaohs. And afterwards, with the Crusaders and Islam, Napoleon, Alexander the Great, Roman legions all fought in this area. But today, this battle will be a battle between gods. And so it will be at the end of history. 
This, what happens in this story is a mini picture of the end times where it will be seen who is the real God. And just like at the end times, what happens in our story will be the same. The idols will be destroyed. The false prophets will be slain. And every knee will bow and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. To Jesus, every knee will bow. Now our passage sets this scene for us vividly. There are gathered on this mountain the thousands and thousands from Israel. King Ahab is there, no doubt, on some prominent position in the mountain. There are 450 prophets of Baal. There's probably less than 100 people in this room. So if you can imagine, 450 just prophets going for six hours, crying out, cutting themselves, jumping around. You've never seen anything like it besides all the thousands of others around and the king. Now, if the 400 prophets of Asherah who were summoned are there as well, it would be 850 prophets against one prophet of the Lord. Now, from a worldly perspective, this doesn't seem very fair, does it? Perhaps the place might seem fair. It seems like it's neutral territory in between uh, Israel and Phoenicia. In Phoenicia, you know, they worshipped Baal. But in Israel, they also worshipped Baal. There was a remnant, though, that had not yet bowed the knee. It wasn't many. But Israel was still God's people. And there were still the faithful there in this country that had abandoned their God. But this, this mountain would not have been perceived as a neutral location. It <clears throat> is written in the annals of, of kings of this time that Mount Carmel was called the Mountain of Baal. This was home court advantage in the eyes of those who followed Baal. You can see in verse 30 that the Lord was no longer worshipped there because the Lord's altar had been thrown down. Elijah had to pick up stones and rebuild it. So Elijah here had picked the place where the prophets of Baal probably felt the most powerful. For them, this should have been easy. Home court advantage, the royals on their side, 450 prophets, maybe 850 prophets to one. It doesn't seem fair. Can you imagine how much cultural pressure Elijah would have felt? He must have seemed way behind the times, very old-fashioned. Oh, you still follow the Lord? I, I didn't know anybody followed the Lord anymore. That's, I think my grandparents might have. You know, the prophets of Baal had all the power. They, were, they sat at Jezebel's table. They had the ear of the king and the queen. They were probably well-dressed, probably some of the most well-fed people in the whole kingdom. Elijah, by contrast, probably looked like he hadn't changed his clothes in the last three years. He probably hadn't. 
But truth, you see, is not held hostage by the numbers. It is not controlled by the majority or the wealthy or the popular or the politically powerful. It cannot be canceled. And so the question remained, who is the true God? Israel had served the Lord in the past. Now they serve Baal. Or perhaps for many, they serve both, like King Ahab. But Jesus had said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Elijah had the people gather to him and said, how long will you hesitate? How much longer will you go on limping back and forth between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve the Lord. If Baal is God, serve Baal. You see that people didn't answer anything. No one said a word because they were all guilty of it. No one stood up and said, I serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. No one answered that. Everyone sat there with their mouths shut, like standing one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat. And a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, and only disaster can come of it. But there they were. How long will you hesitate between two opinions? There is no point, brothers and sisters, in being inconsistent. There is no point in being lukewarm. God hates that. Yet we are far too comfortable being lukewarm in this world. John wrote, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the Father, uh, loves the world, sorry, the love of the Father is not in him. It's one or the other. You cannot love both. But too often, we want to love both. We want to live in this world, live for our own pleasure, our own comfort. Our dream, the dream of many is to retire comfortably, have a boat, have your golf cart, and do just be on the outside just like the world. And then when you die, you end up going to a completely different place. Brothers and sisters, it must be seen in the way that you live what, where your treasure lies. Is your treasure here in this world? Or is it in heaven? And if it is in heaven, then live that way. Let it be seen clearly who it is you serve, that you don't hesitate between two opinions. It's okay to have a golf cart. I'm not saying that you need to get rid of it. But make it clear who it is that you're serving. Choose this day whom you will serve. Now, you don't serve Baal, thankfully. But consider what it is that you love the most. The sin that you find so difficult to repent of the sin that you relied on to make you happy, 
which has failed you every time. I do not need to know what it is to know that. It cannot replace God. Now is the time to choose who you will serve, sin or the Lord. Let me ask you, which one created you? Which one loves you? Which one died for you? Which one could never disappoint you? You cannot serve both, but every one of you will be a slave to one or the other. So how long will you hesitate between two opinions? But the people did not answer Elijah a word, so the test was on. There would be two altars, two sacrifices, one to Baal, one to the Lord. An ox would be laid on each of these altars, but no fire would be placed underneath it. Now the God who answers, not by rain, surprisingly, but by fire, he would be the true God. Now Baal, I said, was the rain God. He was the storm God, actually, which also means he should be able to conjure up a lightning bolt and take care of this one animal. That seemed like a reasonable test for these false prophets. The people all agreed, and they said, this is a good idea. Now Elijah, being a gentleman, allowed them to go first. He allowed them to choose the best bull, whichever one they thought would be easiest. And they they get to go first. And so he allows them Uh, to do this. Now imagine also, if the fire did come down and that bull is sacrificed, Elijah doesn't get a turn. He's going to be put to death right away. So he is completely confident that nothing will happen except them dancing around in the heat of the day for six hours. And so that's what happened. He allowed them to go first. And so from morning until evening, hour after hour, the prophets, hundreds of prophets, jumped around and cried out, Oh, Baal, answer us. And they leaped about the altar which they made. And Elijah mocked them. As the Lord, in Psalm 2, mocks his enemies who gather and plot against him. He laughs at them. Elijah said, Call out with a loud voice. Maybe, for he's a God, maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Maybe he fell asleep, and you need to wake him up. So they became more desperate. They started slashing themselves with swords and lances until there were hundreds of men sweating, probably thirsty, covered with blood, dancing around this altar. In one way, it would have looked like a very exciting worship service. But no one listened. There was no voice. No one heard. No one paid attention. It was a complete waste of time. And God, you see here, is not saying, Baal didn't answer. He says, no one heard. No one listened. No one paid attention. There was no voice. He's not emphasizing the weakness, the impotence of Baal per se, but the non-existence of Baal. It's not just that he didn't answer. It's not that he was on a journey or sleeping or going to the bathroom. It's that he never had a voice. 
He couldn't hear. They were worshiping into the air, into the void, crying out to no one. How unlike your God, brothers and sisters, who sees everything, who doesn't go on a journey, who never slumbers, never sleeps. But there's something else that could be said about their actions. They think that if they cry out just a little louder, if they slash a little more deeply, if they dance a little more wildly, maybe their God will hear. And sometimes we act like that too in the way that we approach the real God. The commentator Dale Ralph Davis said, you might not be a prophet of Baal, but you might think like one. Sometimes we think that God's response is something that we might earn with more fervent effort. If we go on mission trips and give a lot of money to the church and share the gospel enough, perhaps we can pay for that, that sin in our past. Perhaps God will be more inclined to listen to us. Perhaps we can earn his love, earn his favor. That is thinking like a prophet of Baal. Didn't Jesus say, when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. God's favor, you see, is, is not found in your efforts. It is, it is founded in the work and the merit of the Lord Jesus, who has done it all. In fact, it was God's favor and love that sent the Lord Jesus to rescue you. He loves you. Your Father loves you. He is willing to listen to you. He made you. He thought you up. He sent a Savior for you. You don't have to slash yourself to get his attention. You don't have to dance about wildly. I'm, saying, I'm not saying dancing's wrong. Presbyterians are a little bit too calm. It's going to be weird if we're in heaven and we act the way we do in church here. Everybody else is dancing except us. but you don't earn God's ear with that. God, you already have God's ear, all of you who have Christ. He loves you. He listens to you. God hears your prayer. Notice that in how Elijah prays. How long had they been praying now, jumping around? Hours and hours. Elijah's prayer, less than a minute. Less than a minute. Now, Elijah calls the people near. He repairs the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. He takes 12 stones for the whole tribe of Israel, the whole nation of Israel. Israel, you remember, has already been split, but he's showing Israel is still God's people, not just Judah, the whole nation. It's also a reminder of their broken condition because these tribes being not together anymore, had rejected the Lord's worship in Jerusalem. They had rejected the Lord's king. They had rejected the Lord's prophets and established false prophets in their place. They have rejected the Lord's priests. 
But both North and South remain God's people. God's promises remain, you see, despite our failures. If you will come back to him on his terms, he will receive you even now. Now, Elijah wanted to make it abundantly clear to everyone that the Lord is God. Baal had been given every imaginable advantage. The Lord had been given every imaginable disadvantage, every imaginable obstacle. Water was poured on again and again, and they were up on a mountain. So they have to go down probably to the Kishon River and haul these jars up there, and then he sends it back down twice to get water to dump on this until there's no way that he could cheat. The whole trench is filled with water. These are great obstacles. Now, Baal couldn't even light a match. God has given all these obstacles, but what are advantages for a God who doesn't exist? And what are obstacles for the, your Lord, your God? You already saw his power has no limits. So Elijah prepares the sacrifice. He has the altar and the sacrifice completely drenched with water. And then he prays a simple prayer. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back again. Remember, John the Baptist was sent in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the children back to their fathers, back to their God. I want us to look at this prayer more carefully next week, but I want you to consider that this, in contrast to the mad ravings of the prophets of Baal, this prayer was simple. It was concerned for God's glory and for man's good. It was according to his will that Elijah had done all these things. So it was a prayer according to God's will, but notice the goal, notice the request. It's that one, that they would know that the Lord is God and there is no other. And two, that they would know that God has turned their hearts back to him. That's the surprising one. That they would know that God had brought them back. Isn't that amazing? Elijah's prayer is not simply that God would be known as God, but that the hearts of the people would be turned back to their father. How else can I say this? Elijah's praying for two things. Faith and repentance. Faith that they, that the God, their God is the God. And repentance that God would bring their hearts back to him. Both of these things dependent on God's gift, God's work. But then we might ask, how? How could these people be restored? They had rejected the Lord. They stood there with their mouths shut when Elijah asked, who will you serve? How long will you hesitate? They had rejected the Lord. They had broken all his commandments. They had broken their promises. They had rejected the covenant. 
rejected the king, rejected the prophets, rejected the priests. They had killed the prophets. God cannot just overlook this rebellion. He cannot overlook sin. He can't simply say, don't worry about it. No big deal. I forgive you. He is too holy for that. Justice must be paid for your sin. And so God's wrath was poured out on their sin. I want you to notice, they didn't just say, the God who can cause fireworks to appear in the sky, he's the real God. It's not just some random act, some random miracle to show who the real God is. It's a sacrifice. God's wrath came down from heaven and absolutely annihilated the sacrifice. The bull was gone. The stones were gone. The dust was gone. The water was gone. You've never seen anything like this. And it must have been incredibly intense, and yet somehow the people weren't blown away by this. It was like a bomb went off. Just completely eliminated this sacrifice. God's wrath poured out, not on the people where it should have been, but on, a, on this sacrifice. And in this way, it is a picture of the cross. It is a picture of the gospel. That fire, brothers and sisters, should have fallen on you. It should have fallen on God's people. Instead, it fell on the Lord Jesus. He bore all of it for us. Our sins deserve God's wrath just as much as those people deserve God's wrath, just as much as the prophets of Baal deserve God's wrath. But God, God offered his son. He built up the altar, as it were. He laid his son on it. He prayed that we might have faith, that our hearts might be turned back again. And then Christ was bore God's wrath for you in your place. How merciful is our Lord that the wrath of God would be poured out on his own son in your place. And it's only through that sacrifice that you can be restored, that you can have your hearts turned back to him again. Like them, we have been rebellious. We have been double-minded. We have hesitated between opinions. We have stood there with our mouth shut when we had opportunity to declare our allegiance. We have wanted to fit in, in every crowd. We have hesitated between opinions. But even now, brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, salvation is available because God demonstrated his own love and that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. And now again, with your idols in the balance on one side, with the Lord in the other, seeing not only that your idols cannot satisfy, seeing that your idols will only lead to death and disappointment, seeing that God is your creator, your sustainer, that he's the only one who can answer prayer, but seeing also what lengths he has gone to save you, what mercy he freely offers you.
Who will you serve? Who has the better claim on your life? How long will you continue to hesitate between two opinions? At Golgotha, we saw a greater display of God's holiness and mercy and power than was ever seen on Mount Carmel. And how else can we respond but by rejecting our idols and sins and falling down and proclaiming, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, let us pray, brothers and sisters, that Elijah's prayer would be answered in our lives too. That we would know that the Lord is God, that there is no other, that we would turn to him and be saved, and we would, we would have our hearts restored to him. That we would cling to him with all our heart and all our soul. And as strange as it might seem in, in our day, what happened next was completely appropriate. Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook, and he slew them there. In Israel, the state and the religion, you know, were, were together by God's appointment. And it was according to God's law that the false prophets who had turned the hearts of the people away should be put to death. Now today, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but you are called to put your sins to death. You are called to mortify them. Romans 8 tells us, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I'm not saying that the prophets of Baal represent your sins. They don't. They were false prophets. But like false prophets, your sins have also deceived you. They have led you away from the true God. And they have caused so much destruction in your life already, have they not? All the promises they held out to you were lies. And now you are called to decide who you will serve. Who deserves your loyalty? You have been rebellious, but through the sacrifice of Christ Jesus, restoration is held out to you freely. I plead with you. Come to Him. Put your faith in Him. You will be saved. He will by no means turn away anyone who comes to Him. And if you claim Him to be your God, brothers and sisters, no longer hesitate between two opinions. No longer hesitate between two masters. Make your decision. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Your sins have been shown to be lies. Even your favorite sin is nothing more than false hopes. They have nothing to offer you but death. So by the strength of the Spirit, seize them. Do not let one of them escape. And let us fall down before the Lord and say, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is my God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let us pray.
Lord, we ask that you would be God in our lives. You are God. There is no other. But Lord, help us to live consistently in this way, that you would be the king of every area of our life, that we would serve you alone, that we would live for you and not for ourselves, that we would, by your strength, by your grace, by your spirit, put to death the sin that remains and help us to walk more and more in holiness, more and more in the freedom that the children of you have. Lord, give us faith. Turn our hearts back to you again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.